we always try to figure out how do we say yes like Mary, missionally speaking, like what is she inspiring us to do? You don't need to save the world. Just figure out how can you in a small community of active citizens who want to make a difference just start talking about it and get to the point where you take a risk. Welcome to Sharing Our Marianist Stories, a new podcast brought to you by the North American Center for Marianist Studies, otherwise known as NACMIS. I'm Patty Garrett. And I'm Sister Gabby Bebo. Gabby, can you tell me about this episode we're listening to today? Because I know you had listened to several interviews and this one really stuck out to you. So the podcast episode today that we're sharing with you is um, an edited interview of Mike and Beth Schultz, who are two lay Marianists that live in Dayton, and they made up part of the Nassau community, which was a an intentional lay Marianist community that lived on the east side of Dayton. And they're known especially for beginning the Mission of Mary Farm, which is now a, a nonprofit and is, has been very successful at providing vegetables and fresh food to people all over East Dayton, which is a food desert. So I first met Mike and Beth Schultz when they were in the Nassau community when it was still um, in existence. And um, I remember going over to their house a couple of times. And that was when they just had one plot, one garden plot in their backyard. And they just, I mean, they, they would tell us like, we just did it. We saw a need and we responded to it. So they cleared the land and they just started this garden, and it's grown. I mean, they have acres of land now that's all urban, all over, different plots all over the east side, and it's really it has been amazing to me to see this grow. And Juliet Fromholtz from WYSO did this interview at a um, MLCNA assembly gathering, so neither one of us had heard this interview, and so when you suggested I listen to it, it sort of blew my socks off, actually, because I've known Beth and Mike in a different context, and watching them grow as a couple and get married and start a family, as well as stay committed to this mission of Mary, has just been remarkable to watch. And their honesty during this interview, I found very moving. Yeah, so one of the things that we'll hear about in the first part of our episode is them talking about how they met at UD and how they started the Nassau community and then how that developed into the farm over time. Um, So have a listen. Hi, I'm Beth Schultz. Mike Schultz. We both uh, came to the University of Dayton, uh, different reasons of interest, but uh, happened to run into each other, and um, we're both independently inspired, I think, by the merriness um, and the sense of community and drawing in um, and being welcome. So um, we met here at University of Dayton in guitar class. Then we took a class through Father Burns' Christian Marriage. So it's kind of like community, guitar, so the music, and then uh, this Father Norbert Burns kind of brought us together. You know, after graduating from UD, we joined um, a couple folks and starting an intentional community, a living community that was lay Marinus. But people definitely were inspired from the Marinus as a common 
ground, uh, the Catholic worker movement, and just kind of taking what we learned here on campus of building community and urban social justice and how do you take your youthful skills and energy into the actual city in neighborhoods in need. Um, the FIT Center here at ED helped intentionally place us in a neighborhood of need and um, just be present, build relationships with the people, the land, and then figure out through that presence in your community, what can you do? I was just thinking as Mike was talking, Father Teddy Tedesco got us a few of us in a car and uh, drove us around the city of Dayton, um, going through a few different neighborhoods, and he would just, you know, pointed out things that he knew about specific neighborhoods, and we started to get a little more acquainted with the city. I think a lot of times um, folks that come to study at the University of Dayton realize, you know, while you're in school there, it's wonderful and a beautiful sense of community, but you're also living in a sense, uh, sort of a bubble. And so it was neat um, as we were preparing to graduate, kind of bursting out of that bubble and, and figuring out our new place um, in the city of Dayton as a whole. Um, so, yeah, once we got kind of figured out that we wanted to live in the east end of Dayton, um, we moved into that neighborhood just kind of trying to be open to possibilities. How can we use our gifts? How can we bring our passion um, where we are in our lives uh, into our new placement? Um, how can we be a light to the world in that new setting? Um, and so first and foremost, it just meant getting to know our neighbors, getting to um, build those relationships. And it wasn't as easy as we thought. I think coming from the University of Dayton, where everybody wants to be friends and everybody wants to build community, it kind of was a struggle. You know, we'd invite neighbors over for meals and they'd be like, why do these college kids want to have meals with us? <laughs> like, what's the ulterior motive here? But... Yeah, really, it was just how can we build relationships, figure out what it is that the city of Dayton might need that we can offer with our gifts and talents. And a couple of the common grounds, uh, the mediums we found were useful in, like, interacting, building relationships was getting a dog. A lot of people like dogs, not everyone. So walking the dog, you start meeting people, playing music. Um, we live in a neighborhood that has a long last couple of decades long history of a lot of Appalachian folks who came to Dayton for um, different jobs. And so, you know, playing music was another one. And um, then also food, um, not just growing the food, but, you know, having a meal together. So people, I think those are three common grounds we found to help build relationships with people who are very different from us or grew up in different settings. Um, so that community, we lived in it for eight years and it uh, had over 20 folks who lived in it anywhere from six months to, I guess, the full eight years. And one of the things that birthed, um, we always try to figure out how do we say yes like Mary to needs of the world, was uh, Urban Farm and Mission Mary Cooperative, which is now nonprofit in the inner city. We run an urban farm and do education with youth, high school um, folks, and um, so we're kind of dealing with the food access, food deserts of the inner city, and also realize there's a lot of education. And um, so it's the baby we created, and we keep nurturing that baby. 
In this next part, Mike and Beth share some of the other ways they tried to listen to Mary's Yes, which I found really interesting to listen to because they just have this hope that just underpins everything they do. So a couple of things you'll hear, Mike will talk about one of the things that they tried was sheltering two homeless people in their community and some of the lessons they learned from that. And then after being asked by Juliet from Holt from WYSO about some of the difficulties of following Mary's yes, Beth will share a story of driving down the street in her neighborhood and seeing somebody overdosing and just dealing with the horror of that. We tried, we really tried to come from a place of not knowing, of just being open to the spirit, um, being open to what yes meant for us. Um, You know, sometimes you say yes thinking that you know what it's going to be or what it's going to mean or look like, um, and it turns into something different. And it's being open to the movement of that, the spirit in that. Um, so just quickly, one of the first yeses as a community we said yes to is two homeless fellows, Sam and Cameron, who used to live on this back acre. They called it the cool pool. It used to be a neighborhood pool that they filled in where we started the urban farm. Uh, we eventually invited them in our house. It was a struggle to come to that decision to do that. And we did that for about just under two years. And they were both alcoholics a lot of emotional issues. They were collecting cans, didn't have a sense of dignity. Luckily, over time, they were part of a community. They had some dignity. One found his own job and his own place. And it's a great story. We learned that's not what we want to do the rest of our life. We didn't have the skill set or the real resources or energy to make that our lifelong project. Is it hard um, sometimes... You know, um, East East Dayton is a community that has um, – there are a lot of things happening in it um, economically. Um, you know, that neighborhood in particular, like much of the Miami Valley now, is being hit hard by the opioid crisis. We're seeing food deserts around our city. Um, is it hard sometimes to say yes, to have mm-hmm. to have that yes moment, to, to be like Mary and say and say yes when you're – when you're facing, you know, um, a neighborhood that has not just one one problem to be worked toward a solution, but but many issues that are intertwining. Recently, Beth, you might want to share a story about you know seeing someone die just a street down from. Yeah, as you were asking that question, I was thinking about just earlier this week. Actually, um, I was driving home, and I was driving down the street that we live on um, with my little six-month-old sitting in the back of the car, um, and I see this man on the, passed out on the sidewalk. Um, you know, he, he was surrounded by a bunch of people, and I could tell, like, obviously they were frantic because he needed help, um, but they were calling and help was coming. So it was this struggle inside me of, like, I, I want to, you know, is there anything that I can do? Is is there a way that I can respond? But at the same time, um, just just feeling a bit of despair, um, you know, having having my small child in in the back of the car and not wanting that her to be exposed to this kind of thing at such a young age. Um, so you know, my response was okay. It looks like everything 
that can be done right now is being done. So I'll just go home and pray. Um, and at first, you know, I just wanted to feel that despair. But then my response ultimately was to say, I can continue to be a, a light of hope in this dark place. How does Mary help you through through experiences like that? Um, and how, how do you look to her when you're, when you're encountering something like that? That's a great question, too. I think, um, you know, ultimately for me, especially where I am right now, looking to Mary as a model of um, being that mother, and she endured ultimately, like, the largest pain that I think is possibly, um, that we can possibly experience um, in watching her her own child suffer. Um, so s- thinking about the way that she could handle that with such grace is really inspiring. In this next part, Mike talks about how he was told by a Marianist brother that Jesus is at work in the world to trust that And so it's up to us to just find out what our small role is. Yeah, I think that was Brother Tom Pieper, who I know has been like an important mentor for for Mike and for Beth in this process. So this last part of their interviews will just be them sharing on some of their lessons and their hopes, as well as some interesting ways that they collaborated with some of the vowed members of the Marianist family, like Brother Tom Pieper. For us, as we were starting our community, we were constantly trying not to reinvent the wheel while at the same time, you know, obviously we were experiencing something a little bit different than anybody else has ever done or experienced before. Um, But things that we relied on a lot were, you know, looking to the the Society of Mary as well as the daughters um, and just like seeing how our experience could relate to theirs and and learning from them. Um, You know, we wrote our own rule of life, but drew upon those resources that we already had, you know, looking to NACMAS for resources. Um, I think, you know, if we can continue to build a movement that's really based on um, drawing upon the strong resources that are already there while also utilizing the passion that's developing and that it has been developing. You know, putting those two pieces together and just continuing as we were um, just talking um, in this keynote about taking the um, interior strength of prayer and all that into moving it into action. Um, I think as long as the Marianists as a, whole, as a whole are able to act upon their love and their passions. I think together we'll be a strong force, a strong movement. You know, to be an active listener is important. You know, there's two different kinds of listening. One where, you know, in your neighborhood or the city you could hear a gunshot or you can hear domestic violence or you could just hear someone tell their story of how they grew up and you can let it go out the other ear or like truly listen to the point where, you're reflecting on it and trying to really understand it. Um, even so much so that you're opening your heart to pain or what they're feeling or what they went through. And then through that, hopefully, um, the Marinus can figure out, well, what am I supposed to do? I once heard it said, Brother Tom Peeper, you know, Jesus already saved the world. You don't need to save the world. Just 
figure out how can you in a small community of active citizens who, you know, want to make a difference, just start talking about it and get to the point where you take a risk. Um, and so I think that's a big challenge because, you know, listening, it's hard in and of itself, but then to get the courage and risk to like do something about it. So excited to just see how other lay mariners and other just Christians or goodwilled citizens here in Dayton in our situation um, will be able to do that moving forward. Thank you for listening to Sharing Our Marianist Stories, a podcast through the North American Center for Marianist Studies. There are several people we'd like to thank, including Beth and Mike Schultz for being so willing to share these heartfelt and honest stories with us. And of course, we want to thank Juliet Fromholt and the staff at WYSO for all of their support in this podcasting endeavor. If you want more information about the mission of Mary Cooperative, NACMIS, and specifics about this podcast, please visit our website at www.nacmis.org. That's www.nacms.org. Thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends and invite them to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or listen to it from our website.